This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Named the best podcast of 2018 by Apple. Tons of fascinating guests. Untold stories you won't hear anywhere else. Expand your wisdom and discover other perspectives that you've never considered before with The Jordan Harbinger Show. Join Jordan as he interviews high-profile people as well as intriguing personalities. Each episode features a discussion that might just take you anywhere. I recommend episode 970, where Jordan and guest Annie Jacobson talk nuclear annihilation. How likely is it? How scared should you be? And what comes after? There's also episode 886 with David Farina, which delves into the wacky world of flat earthers. These episodes are great starting points, but you're sure to find deep, interesting, and thought-provoking topics throughout Jordan's catalog. Turn off the music and turn up the wisdom with The Jordan Harbinger Show. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Beware the Redwood Bureau, a secret organization which captures and researches creatures and objects that defy explanation. Their reckless procedures have led to countless innocent lives lost. I am Agent Conroy. I worked for the Redwood Bureau, but I have escaped them to leak their reports to the unsuspecting public. You have the right to know. Redwood Bureau Phenomenon 0406. Buddy. RPP report 0406 initiated. My childhood dog was called Sam. He was a mixed breed. With the small stature of a chihuahua and the white curly fur of a poodle, he died when I was about 10 and I never ended up getting any other pets after that until well into adulthood. I don't remember much about him all these years after, but the blurry memories that I can still recall are similarly positive, if not a tad benign. Other individuals, unfortunately, have not been so lucky. Not much is known about Entity 0406. At first glance, it appears to be a dog, more specifically, a greyhound. But take a closer look, and you'll quickly realize that this is no ordinary pet. It is believed that 0406 has some sort of flexible bone or organ structure, allowing its body to shift or even grow at will. We are unaware of just how many entities like 0406 exist across the globe, though Redwood assumes that there are few, if any, as no similar reports have been uncovered by the Bureau. It is for this same reason that so much about this entity is unknown. It has no known motives behind its behaviors that take place in the following report, other than pure, unadulterated malice. 
Below is an interview seized from police archives by Redwood Bureau's investigation department. It was given in the early hours of April 27, 2009, by one Jason Stratham regarding his childhood dog, Buddy. Throughout the interview, he talks about several incidents pertaining to unusual behavior portrayed by 0406 throughout his childhood, from ages 12 to 18. 0406 is a tricky one, as Redwood is still unsure as to its origins. No sightings of 0406 have ever been reported since this incident, and its current location is still unknown. It is officially classified as tranquil, as there is no evidence that it has ever been directly involved with any human casualties. But I and several of my former colleagues wholly disagree with this conclusion. No, I believe that 0406 is all too dangerous. Um, is it recording? Can I start now? I was 12 years old when I first got Buddy. It was Christmas morning and my mother led me into the living room with her hands over my eyes. As soon as she removed them, I squealed and rushed past her, utterly delighted to receive the Christmas gift that I'd been begging her for, for two whole years. My very own dog. Buddy was a greyhound. Not that I knew that at the time. I remember voicing my concern that he had been underfed in his last home. But my mom just laughed at me, explaining that that was just how his breed was supposed to look. Still, the clear definition of hips and ribs through his slate gray fur did weird me out. I played with him the whole day, the happiest that I'd been since my dad left a few months earlier. We took him on a walk and he nearly pulled me off of my feet as he tugged on his leash. My mom made me hand her his lead after that. I whined but was secretly relieved a little anxious of how strong he was. I fed him scraps of bacon and my mother's vegan ham under the dinner table. She was allergic to a protein found in certain types of red meat, but always made sure to make a separate portion for me. Soon the day was over, and we put him in his donk bed in the living room. I brushed my teeth and went to my room, waiting for my mom to fall asleep. I could only contain myself for what must have been no longer than 10 minutes before I snuck downstairs, holding my breath to be as quiet as possible. I knew all the spots on the stairs that would creak if I stepped on them and avoided them religiously, only exhaling when I was downstairs and slowly inching open the living room door. Buddy! I scream whispered as he ran up to me, giggling as he started licking my hands and face. I bent over to try to pick him up but he nearly dwarfed me in size, so I just ended up awkwardly half-hugging him. I led him upstairs and he followed close behind me, eventually curling up on my bed as soon as we entered my room. I tucked myself in beside him and drifted off, looking forward to playing with him again tomorrow. In retrospect, my mom had probably heard me creeping downstairs to get Buddy. I was never as subtle as I thought I was being when I was younger. My tiptoeing was always more of a stumble, but she let me bring him up to my room anyway, not wanting to stop my childish joy, because that's just the type of mother she was. Sorry, can I take a break? Anyways, a few hours later I woke up in the middle of the night, my heart racing for seemingly no reason. I rubbed my eyes, flicked on my bedside lamp and walked over to my window. I peered out of the window to confirm that it was, in fact, the very early morning, the sun only barely starting to peek over the horizon. I thought it was unusual because I had never been a light sleeper and rarely woke up before my alarm. 
I looked back to my bed and choked on a yelp as I saw Buddy staring back at me. I couldn't tell what it was, but something about him was... off. It took my eyes a second to adjust to the dim light, but when they did, I could see how his bones shifted and rippled like snakes slithering beneath his skin. He was tense and posed to lunge, wound up so tight that he looked like he might attack at any moment. Despite this, he wasn't growling. In fact, he was deathly silent as he looked at me, completely still. The worst part were his eyes. Both of his eyes were completely black, not the dark brown that I had become accustomed to during the day, but pure, solid black. I thought that I was just seeing things, but when I shifted to the side slightly, I could see the edge of his familiar brown iris peeking through. I realized with horror that his pupils were in fact so bloated and swollen that it took up nearly the whole of his eyes. I don't know how long I stood there. I was only jolted out of my paralysis by the sound of my mother getting up for work. Buddy held his unflinching gaze for one final, haunting moment, and then turned around and trotted back downstairs. I followed behind him in disbelief of what I was sure I had just seen, and my mom gave me a knowing smile as she passed, mistaking my shaken expression as embarrassment from getting caught with him upstairs. I never brought Buddy up to my room again after that. Over time, I dismissed the night's incident as a bad or lucid dream. His eyes were something that I struggled a little harder to explain, but it would continue to happen every few months that I had him, so I eventually just got used to it. But I have never, not even all these years later, fully gotten over the sickening, heart-stopping fear that I had felt that cold winter night. I only ever felt that fear one other time. I think I was 15. I was dog-sitting for my best friend at the time. His dog was an adorable chihuahua, who was smaller and middle-aged than Buddy had been in infancy. We had to separate the two because Buddy had never been too friendly with other dogs, especially the smaller ones that he could push around and bully. We locked Buddy in my mother's room, and I specifically remember making sure that the door was locked, because I knew that he was tall enough to paw at the doorknob and open the door. I swear to God that I checked that lock. Warning, signal interruption detected. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Signal connection restored. My mom was out doing some errands, 
So I was making some food while watching over the chihuahua in the kitchen. I had just put some soup on the stove, impatiently hungry. After a few minutes, I used a spoon to taste if the soup was hot enough yet, then cursed at its overly hot temperature as I sipped. I decided to go to the bathroom to pee and nurse my burnt tongue with some cold water. I returned into the kitchen after only a few minutes, but the chihuahua was gone. In its place, Buddy was sitting on the floor next to the stove, wagging his tail at me. I pet him and set off looking for the chihuahua, assuming that he had escaped into the hallway when Buddy had somehow pushed open the door. I didn't even think about the lock that was keeping Buddy in the other room. I searched the entire house top to bottom twice, maybe three times over. I didn't find him. By that point, I was starting to panic. So I called my mom to come home and help me look as I walked back to the kitchen, resigned to waiting for help while I ate my lunch. Buddy was still sitting in the same position, still wagging his tail, still looking at me once again with those dark, empty eyes. I shivered as I looked at him, having never gotten used to when his eyes got like that. I turned off the stove and rummaged around in my cupboard to find a bowl. I went to pour the soup into my bowl while I looked at the still burning hot stove for the first time since the chihuahua went missing. I dropped my soup, screaming. Buddy must have put him up there. The chihuahua was nowhere near tall enough to get up there by himself. Buddy was the only dog big enough to reach the boiling pan of soup. I didn't know what to do. Was this an accident? Buddy would have felt the heat radiating from the stove. I felt like I was going to throw up. The image of the poor chihuahua burned into my retinas and appeared behind my eyelids every time that I so much as blinked. I told my mom that he must have escaped through the back door that I purposefully left open after burying him in the backyard, and I didn't offer to pet sit ever again. My friend never talked to me again after that night. It wouldn't have mattered if he had tried to anyway. Even seeing his face in the schoolyard was enough to turn me into a shaking, crying mess for the next three years. Others stopped talking to me eventually as well. Even some teachers looked at me in disdain and gossiped about me as I walked past. They talked about the kid who got his best friend's puppy killed. I never told anybody the truth, and I don't regret keeping what really happened that day to myself. The image of that tiny little dog in the pan. It was too much to bear for a long time. God, I should have at least told my mom the truth. Maybe she would have believed me, would have taken Buddy to an animal shelter or even had him put down. I was just so horrified that I couldn't even think about what had happened, never mind talked about it. This is the first time that I've told anyone about this. Please, I just need someone to believe me that this whole thing isn't just in my head, especially after last night. It was about 7 p.m. when my mom came home. She had picked up some takeaway from an Indian place on the way home. Two orders of beef curry, one vegan. We always had takeaway on the weekends, and we tried a new place or dish every week. It was a family tradition, and one that both of us held close to our hearts. I'm home, she announced as she opened the door, dropping her bag as I came down the stairs. Her bag was decorated with stripes of green and white, part of her huge collection of tote bags. I used to tease her about how easily someone could steal something from one, but she liked them anyway because they were good for the environment. How's your day been? I asked, taking the package labeled meat out of her hands. Good. Exhausting, though. She answers in between bites of food. She was a nurse, 
So she usually worked from early mornings to late into the night. Yeah, you look exhausted. Huh, <laughs> shut up. We both laughed as she patted me on the shoulder before taking another huge bite of her meal. I pushed my cutlery around mine to give the appearance of eating. It tasted off to me, too rubbery and flavorless. Mom looked like she was really enjoying hers, though, digging in almost ravenously. I should have noticed. I should have fucking noticed. Less than one hour later, she would be dead, on the same couch that she was sitting on then, happily eating away. It was only a few minutes later when it started. She kept coughing and gasping, sounding painfully unable to breathe. Alarmed, I looked over to see her face an angry inflamed red. I swore, dropping my food. The restaurant must have put our food in the wrong containers by accident, I thought, as she desperately motioned to the hallway. I stood up and bolted to the hallway, realizing in an instant what she was motioning for. She carried her EpiPen with her everywhere, so it would be in her bag by the door. I dropped to my knees as I reached the tote, not bothering to pick it up. I rummaged desperately through the bag, growing more and more manic by the second as I failed to find it. I dumped the contents onto the floor. Still no EpiPen. Mom, it's not there. Did you leave it in your room? I say as I run back through the hallway, my voice trembling. Silence. I entered the room and ran over to her, shaking her shoulders. She didn't respond. Eyes were closed and body swollen. Her face was all scrunched up. Her eyes bloodshot and her last breath a wheezing, deathly rattle. I let go of her and called the police as I looked at her on the couch, eerily still. They asked me to check for a pulse and I did so. I finally break down then, screaming in anguish as I find none. I dropped the phone and it cracked against the wooden floor as I buried my head on my mother's shoulder. I stayed like that for what felt like days, at one point even falling asleep, overcome by a numb, despondent kind of grief. The sound of sirens woke me up, and I turned around as I heard a knock on the door, to see Buddy sitting there with a slim white and orange container in his mouth, the EpiPen. I froze. Thoughts raced through my head, but none were clear enough to get through the fog that shrouded my mind as I looked at him, pure black eyes looking back at me. He dropped the EpiPen at his feet, at the same time as another knock at the door seemed to echo through the house. Rage rushed through my veins like freezing cold water as I picked Buddy up and ran out through the front door, past the ambulance and into my car. Sir, are you okay? One of the paramedics called out but I could barely hear him through the blood rushing through my ears. I ignored him as I struggled to half-carry, half-drag Buddy into the car boot, slamming the door and speeding off, angrier than I have ever been. I didn't know where I was going to go, but I knew that I needed him to go. I needed him out of my house, needed him to stop infecting and ruining every single aspect of my life. I didn't know what was wrong with him, and I didn't care to keep him around long enough to find out. A thought occurred to me then, and I took a left and drove forward until I arrived at a wooded area an hour or so from my house. My car screeched to a stop, and I parked by the side of the road. By now the sun had nearly set, and the sky was dark, aside from my car headlights. I threw open my boot and opened it as Buddy stepped out, staring at me silently once again. I saw the reflection of myself in his eyes. I looked insane unkempt and hunched. The lump in my throat was so big that I could barely breathe through it. 
Tears clouded my vision as they fell down onto the damp earth. What the fuck did you do? I screamed, feeling lightheaded and angry and so, so scared. He didn't even flinch. For the first time I noticed how tense he was, tail stiffly pointing straight backwards, jaw clenched. For the first time in years, I'm brought back to that first night all those years ago, to that fear and dread that I had pushed away and doubted myself about for so long. The adrenaline drains away, and all that I'm left with is bone-weary exhaustion. Without another word, I turned around and walked back towards the driver's seat. I heard it then, a low-pitched growl. Buddy had never growled before, and the noise sounded so alien to me, lower than any growl I'd ever heard. It sounded more like the rev of a motorcycle engine, rather than a noise that a living, breathing animal should be able to produce. A spike of fear traveled up my spine, and I stayed turned around, looking back at him through my side-view mirror. The sight that greeted me is one that my mind struggles to even fully rationalize, but I'll try my best to describe what I can. His body was shifting beneath his skin, bones moving and bending in ways that they shouldn't have been able to. His skin was stretched so taut over his body that you could now see every bone moving around, like a living organism wearing the skin of a dog to disguise itself. His teeth were bared, protruding massively out of his gums. His canines tapered off into knife points, almost looking serrated, with tiny sharp bumps on the inner side of the teeth. He almost looked like he was growing taller, legs starting to bend inwards at the joints as I stood there paralyzed. His eyes looked into my side mirror, making direct eye contact with me, and I felt the chill when I realized that a normal dog would not know how to do that. The thought that something was wrong with Buddy, I mean really wrong, was not one that I had ever wanted to think about before, though it seemed so obvious in retrospect. Through the small reflection, it felt like I could stare through his eyes into his insides, but all I saw was more darkness. I got into my car and pressed my foot as hard as I could onto the gas pedal. For a fleeting moment, I felt an overwhelming sense of relief at leaving him behind as my car flies forward. That is, until I looked into my rearview mirror to see him racing after me, lunging off of the ground for several seconds at a time as he sprinted after me. I sped up even more, breathing in quicker and shallower as I realized that he is slowly catching up to me. We remain in this chase for longer than he should be physically able to, hand cramping painfully with how tightly I was gripping onto the steering wheel. Suddenly he stops, and I audibly sob with relief, that is, until I see exactly where he stopped. He stands there silently, looking at me from the top of my street. I don't know what to do, so I just kept driving. I had been driving mostly in circles for hours, until I felt safe enough to stop here. Please, you have to help me. I know that I sound crazy, but please believe me. He's at my house. He's waiting for me. I don't know what to do. My mother is dead. I... After this report was taken, Jason's concerns were dismissed by police and he was placed in a voluntary 72-hour psychiatric hold. In this hold, he was reported to be in a high state of stress, sitting only on the floor in the corner of his cell, rather than the bed or chair provided to him. He was said to flip between bouts of mumbling, 
abrupt bouts of silence, in which he would simply stare silently at the staff who came to check on him every few hours. He was eventually tested for drugs, as the staff were concerned about his unnaturally large pupils, but the test results came back negative on all counts. After he was released, he was reported to be feeling much calmer, even going so far as to profusely thank several psychiatric staff and police officers for, quote, calming him down and making him see past his delusions. He was then allowed to drive himself home. Two days after this report was taken, it was picked up by Redwood Bureau, who then officially took over the case from local authorities. Two agents were tasked with conducting a follow-up interview with Jason about his experience. They arrived to his house to find it completely empty, with the front door wide open. Agents found acute signs of struggle, but no noticeable stolen possessions. They also noticed a strange pungent smell coming from the living room. The source of the smell was a box of spilled, rancid food, suggesting that Jason had only been home for a very short period, if at all, before he went missing. The case was eventually ruled as a mental breakdown-fueled suicide by police and marked unsolved by the Redwood Bureau. To this day, Jason has never been found and was declared deceased three years later in 2012. 0406 has also yet to be found, despite Redwood's best attempts. Jason's car was found about a month later several hours away, turned upside down off the side of a secluded area of the highway. There were two tracks of footsteps identified near the vehicle, one human, one canine. I often think about this story when I see someone on the street who's walking their dog. I think about Jason's mother, her body never collected from the morgue. I think about Jason himself, who disappeared without a trace after being so sure that he had imagined the danger that part of him had sensed for nearly his whole childhood. I think about Buddy, still out there, living in the wild or perhaps even picked up by another adoption center, waiting to be taken home by another little boy and his mother. RPP report 04060 activated. I'm Josh Tomar, host of Redwood Bureau. Thank you for listening. Redwood Bureau is a horror fiction podcast and part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. For more dreadful terrors, follow Redwood Bureau on Spotify and iTunes, and check out our other podcasts like Unexplained Encounters and Freaky Folklore on your favorite podcast platform. You can find me on Twitter and Twitch under username Tomamoto, T-O-M-A-M-O-T-O. And my voiceover is featured in a wide variety of your favorite video games, anime, and other animated shows. Until next time, don't forget, this world is a strange one.